Welcome to this podcast of sermons at CUNY United Methodist Church. Here are these holy words from the Gospel according to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Jesus said, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The Gospel of the Lord. We are in this worship series, Jesus' Greatest Hits. Jesus had cured people, cast out demons, called some disciples, went up a mountain. And the disciples followed, sat at his feet, sat because it was a long talk, chapters 5 through 7. The crowds were off at a distance. We call this section of the Gospel of Matthew the Sermon on the Mount, but that's something that we added, you know, centuries later. We could also call it, that section, Sermon on the Mount, we're calling it Jesus' Greatest Hit. We could also call it a Beginner's Guide to the Kingdom of Heaven. Last week, we heard Jesus teach us how to approach prayer. Don't show off. Don't try to manipulate God. Don't heap up empty phrases to get God's attention. That prayer is to be focused on God. And prayer accomplishes really important purposes in our lives and in our spiritual lives. Prayer is a way that we honestly express our feelings to God. Those feelings of joy, of praise, of wonder. Feelings of anger and injustice and sadness. Like all communication, prayer improves relationship. The more we pray, the better our relationship with God. In Deuteronomy 6, which Jesus would have called scripture from the, from the Torah, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And Deuteronomy 6 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then it goes on to say, Recite these words to your children. And talk about them when you are home, and when you are away, when you lie down, and when you rise. These are words that Jesus would have heard over and over. It reminds me... And we're, we're studying uh, St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, a Bible study on Tuesday night. And Paul talks about that he prays that the love of Christ, um, that we may come to know the love of Christ, its breadth and its length, its depth and its height. And that is this love of God that we recite these, so these words are in our hearts. Prayer unites us in community. It unites us to the community around us, to the community that is bigger than us, and to the community 
that extends throughout time. So when we pray together, we are connected to each other here at CUNA United Methodist Church. It connects us to the whole Methodist Church. It connects us to the whole body of Christ, all disciples um, throughout the earth. It connects us to those communion of saints, the disciples who came before us. And in communal prayer, it is a reminder that we come different, that we are in different places. Some of us are joyful. Some of us are mourning. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are wondering. And prayer is helpful in discernment. That is the fundamental role of our leadership team. The leadership team for this church gathers about once a month, and their fundamental job is to discern what is God up to here in our church? What is God's dream for our church? And prayer is that communication. Lord, this is what I need you to know. Lord, what do you need me to know? And so today we're going to look at the Our Father also called the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, because it was given by the Lord, called the Our Father, because it's the beginning of the prayer. Many things in our religious uh, tradition are named simply by the first word. Now, the version you heard from the Gospel of Matthew, pretty similar to what you're used to, to what we pray every Sunday. There's another version in the Gospel of Luke, pretty similar, but different than what we pray every Sunday. There's another version of the Lord's Prayer in the Didache, which is an early Christian writing in Greek. Little different, but pretty similar. They all have differences, and probably none of them exactly match the Aramaic that Jesus spoke. So we have all these different versions. And then there's all the English translations. We have the one that we use, which uses thy and thou and art in heaven, language that average people haven't used for several hundred years. And then there's translations in modern English, and translation always brings difference. So I think the message, especially because in the earliest times there were different versions, is that it is the meaning that is important, not the actual words. And yet, once you memorize it, once you memorize something that is holy for you, it is difficult to hear it in different words. And so we continue using, you know, our Father who art in heaven, even though I, I suspect none of you used the word art in any other speech last week. I especially, you know, when we memorize things that are holy, folks that are in the depths of dementia, who cannot remember the names of their family, can often recite prayers of their childhood and sing those songs. And yet as faithful people, we are interested in meaning. But you know, I was at a church once, and they changed from that older, old-fashioned language to modern English. And let me tell you, there was a kerfuffle in the congregation. <laughs> Some folks were not delighted. <laughs> and yet it, meaning is important, especially as we are passing on the faith to our children, that they need language, you know, that's language for them. 
um, people have talked about, as a child, they thought it's, uh, the prayer was, Harold be thy name. <laughs> that the name of God was Harold. So it's important. You know, it's, it's, it's hard for kids. It's, it's hard for 21st century kids to be reciting a 17th century translation of a first century prayer. So part of our job is to teach the meaning. So we're going to look at the meaning. And I'm going to use not the words exactly from the Gospel of Matthew, but the words that we are used to that we pray every Sunday. So we start with our Father. When Jesus called, began the prayer, this is how you are to pray, our Father. Jesus spoke of God with great closeness. And Jews often referred to God as Father, as Father, as King, as Savior. The prayer for modern Israel right now, today, begins, Our Father, the one in the heavens. It sounds pretty familiar. Paul tells the Gentiles that they have been adopted into the family of God, and so they can call God Father. At that time, you know, the Israel, the nation of Israel uh, called God Father, and now Gentiles who were not relatives could call God Father. And in antiquity, adoption was a sign of special welcome. Everyone at that time would have known that Julius Caesar had a biological child, but his heir was his adopted son, Octavian. When Jesus refers to God as our Father, he is speaking of the best aspects of fathering. Father as provider, abundant provider, as protector. Father is the one who knows us well, who loves us deeply, who is compassionate, and who takes care of us. And when we pray to God as our Father, we are reminded that we are connected, that we pray as, a, as siblings in faith. Who art in heaven. That old-fashioned language, who art in heaven. The, and we use the thys and the art. And it is a good question, why does that old-fashioned language, why is that so meaningful to us? Some of it, I do think, is memory and the way we pass on prayer. But I think for some people, it's because it feels formal to use old-fashioned language. That is, they have been told that God is, you know, above us, which is true, um, and that God is more knowledgeable than us, and so there is formality. So imagine my shock when I discovered that thy and thou was informal language 400 years ago. English, we used to have, you know, thy means you, and you means you. Thy was the one you used with family and close friends. And you was formal. And the kind of father Jesus is talking about is not formal. This is personal. This is someone, you know, you live with. Not formal. When Jesus speaks of our Father who art in heaven, there are political overtones that we probably don't hear. One of the titles of Caesar, the Roman emperor, was father of the homeland. And when Jesus is calling God father in heaven, Jesus is saying, ultimate authority in your life is not Caesar. It is God. 
And that would have had political overtones then as it does now. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, holy, sacred, same meaning. We don't use hallowed much anymore. Except it has been preserved in Halloween, which means Eve of the Holy Ones, Eve of All Saints Day. The upholding the holiness, the hallowedness, the sacredness of God's name is all throughout the Old Testament. Jews would not speak the name of God because it was too um, holy. And in fact, they wouldn't even write the name of God. They only wrote an acronym, an acronym that we would translate this name of God. I am who am, or I am who will be. Not exactly a name. It's like God is saying, you know what? I'm God, and I'm God, and you're not going to change it. <laughs> because God is beyond what we, what we can imagine. And that how, when we hold God's name holy, we are saying, God, you are God, and you are free to be God, and we know that you are never going to fit in our box. Thy kingdom come. Jesus lived in a kingdom. We don't. We live in a republic. But Jesus lived in a, in a kingdom. So saying, God, your kingdom come, again, political overtones. But he's also saying this kingdom that his hearers would have been familiar with, Roman Empire, with King Herod and Governor Pontius Pilate, that is not like the kingdom of God. And then Matthew, throughout the gospel, gives us examples of folks living this kingdom life of Joseph who took a pregnant Mary in and married her and protected her of the people who came for healing and of their caretakers who brought them of the disciples sitting at the feet of Jesus learning of the woman who anoints Jesus of the centurion at the cross those were people living in, the, in this kingdom of God. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will be done. Jesus has already modeled for us how to discern God's will. In the temptation in the wilderness, three times Jesus is tested and three times he quotes the Torah. He quotes Deuteronomy. So, if we want to discern God's will, we go to the same place he did, to the scriptures. We go to the scriptures. They are fundamental to Christian living, to church life, to discernment. So that is why we, we always proclaim the scriptures in worship. We have Bible studies so that we have a life of discussing and praying and talking about scripture. And then... We pray, your will be done. And in that prayer, we are asking that God's will become our will. And that we take on the desire of God. When someone needs, another provides. And we act as God acts, giving freely and generously. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Over and over, we get images of heaven as a glorious banquet, tons of good food, which would have been amazing for people that every single person listening to Jesus would have lived through some level of famine in their lifetime. It sounds very different to us, where we struggle more with overeating than famine. And yet, here we are talking about food. That daily bread in Greek it's epiosius, which literally means the next day. Give us the next day's food today. And it's reminding us of God feeding the Israelites manna in the desert, which was given on a daily basis. And God said, don't hoard it. And we're told God did this to test the obedience. And the opposite of hoarding is sharing. And of course, sharing is the faithful of any, is a, is a hallmark of any functional community, of any faithful community. And as Jesus is teaching us, praying about bread, about food, the same one who would feed thousands on just a few loaves of bread and fish. You know, there's story after story of Jesus feeding people and eating with people. And it makes me suspect that maybe he was a little chubby different image of Jesus there, isn't it? <laughs> forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Our translation from Matthew used debts. Probably the Aramaic word, you know, Jesus didn't speak English or Greek. He spoke Aramaic. Probably the Aramaic word he used was chob or choba, which can be translated trespass or debt or sin. That any one of those are good translations. And sin is a burden that forgiveness lifts off. Sin is a stain that washing cleans off. Sin is a debt that forgiveness pays off. Unless we think that we are only in the forgiving game, we are reminded that we begin as sinners who need forgiveness. And that none of us is in a position to lord it over others. Lead us not into temptation. That, that, re that, that, allude, that uh, reference to manna is a reminder that daily bread, obedience to God, and testing are all connected. The Greek pierzazo can be translated temptation or test or trial. And the scripture, the gospels tell us Jesus was tested a lot. Satan tested him in the wilderness, and the Pharisees tested, and the Herodians came to test him, and a lawyer came to test him, and finally he was tested by the cross. And when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we remember that God gives us the resources we need to deal with any temptation. God gives us the, the resource of scripture. God gives us the resource of the Holy Spirit when we are faced with testing. God gives us the resource of the gathered community of each other as we deal with our temptations and our testing. And God gives us our own conscience planted within us when we deal with temptation and testing. So when we are tempted 
to hoard rather than share. We pray for God to deliver us. When we are tempted to lord that we are better than others, smarter, more moral, that God delivers us from that temptation. When we are tempted by the desires of this world, we pray that God delivers us. And we pray that God delivers us from evil. Did you catch in the, in the translation that Susan shared with us, deliver us from the evil one? The Greek is boneros, which literally means the evil one, the evil thing. And for some of us, when we say Satan, we mean a being that is always out undermining the kingdom of God. For others of us, when we think about Satan, we think of that evil, pervasive presence in the world, in our own hearts. And so if you think, for you, whichever one um, most resonates for you, I will tell you that both are biblical. Both this understanding of evil as a being and evil as, as this pervasive presence in the world. And then, you didn't hear in, the, in what Susan shared, but we say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's not in the Gospel of Matthew. It's not in the Gospel of Luke. It is in the Pesheta, which is a Syriac translation, early Syriac translation of the Bible. Syria, you know, is just north of Israel. And Syriac, ancient Syriac, was a dialect of Aramaic. And so that translation included uh, that, that, the, um, that ending that we are used to. And by the way, if anyone has heard, in the last, I don't remember, a couple of weeks ago, there was a news story that scholars found a new uh, text of Matthew chapter 12. The parchments that they used at that time, they would, you know, write the scripture on, and then it would fade, and they would wash it off and write again, because the parchment was very expensive, wash it off, write again. So they have these ancient manuscripts, and they're using ultraviolet, ultraviolet photography to, where they can see what was erased. And recently was discovered, I believe it was a Syriac translation, um, a new layer of, of, of um, erased text that is slightly different from any other Syriac translation of Matthew chapter 12. Um, that's at least 1,500 years old. And just so you know, translations that don't exactly match, super common. There's many, many, just, there are just little differences between translations. And then you have Syriac, which is different than Greek, which is different than Latin. But it is fascinating that here today we are still finding new manuscripts that, that scholars will have another piece of antiquity as they go through the process of translating for us. And then the Didache has one more line. Thrice in the day, thus pray. Thrice in the day, thus pray. So I would invite you, challenge you, this week to give that a shot to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. 
And I actually encourage you to use a different version for each of those times. Maybe one of the times you pray the version from Matthew. Maybe another time you pray the version from Luke. Maybe another one you pray the one that you have memorized. Maybe another time you pray an English translation that is different than the one that you have memorized. And listen for that meaning. Let Jesus teach you three times every day about praying. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is preached almost always by our pastor, Reverend Mia Crossway. CUNA United Methodist Church is a community on a mission to make disciples for the transformation of the world. To support this podcast and the missional priorities of this church, go to cunaumc.org and click on Give. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you things.